In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as The Binary Saga. Log entry, Vela 73, Vela Rotat 2698, Cycle 9 of the 10th Annual. Hey, hey, Siege. With all of the traveling that you've been doing lately, you should see if Haxa can certify you for one of their crew positions. I'm sure that by now you have enough flight hours to qualify. How many planets have you been to in the last, uh, Rotat? Two? Three? No wonder you're losing track of where Andy is. Have you gotten to the terminal yet and realized that you left him on another planet by accident? Sometimes I wonder if you even stop to unpack your travel cases, knowing that you're just going to head off to the next place. I talked with Aaron about the proposal from Janine. While you're right that it would be barely a ripple for her to code out, when I asked her about it, she laughed and said that she usually goes to some other team members for user interface issues. She says that designing or updating anything that required someone to see it was not something she was good at. Something about how her brain interprets the information. She said that some of her earlier work was actually passed over because it wasn't a pleasing aesthetic, regardless of how well it worked. Since then, she usually just codes the underlying features and lets her team work on how it's presented. That said, she does have a few Velens on her team that have mentioned the network to her and when she asked them if they wanted to help, they dove at the opportunity. Janine may notice a new notification system as well as a personal information database with increased security. Apparently, the new system will update any contact information for users automatically if they move or change names. This way, they never miss a message when the new information from Hymavina or Vela comes across the pipe. I'm pretty sure that I've mentioned before that I would thoroughly enjoy trying out any number of the Segbats there, just to experience them. I would also be happy to push the limits of Frida's new one to, um, break it in. I mean, you just have to find the upper limit of what a craft like that can do. That Segbat wants to go fast. You would deny such an incredible vessel its wants and desires just to play it safe? Come on, Andy, back me up on this. I'm sure that even Rune would understand that. He sounds like some of the other pilots we have seen come through recently. One of them, Beir, even got permission to do something like the jump video that you sent. Except this one was from one of the shuttles that was just barely inside a low orbit of the planet. It was so high up that you could see the curvature of Vela, and he had to be in a spacesuit due to the lack of breathable air. When he stepped out of the shuttle, it actually took a while before the microgravity began to pull him towards the planet. I'll send the video of that for you to show Rune. While I did watch both the videos that Rune and Bayer did, I'm not keen on the whole concept. If you recall, I'm no stranger to falling out of control towards the planet's surface, and it's not on my list of things to try again, in any fashion. With Andy taking over so much of what Raythea was doing in her house business, has it been stressful? Was she involved in any dealings like what the other houses were doing? She didn't try to orchestrate any hostile takeovers that were less than legitimate, did she? Hopefully this will have multiple good outcomes. For starters, it will lessen the load on Raythea, and having a little less stress in her life will allow her to see the people and things around her in a better light. It will also let Andy feel proud about his school's dealings, 
and they can get back to doing, well, whatever it is that they do, in an honest and efficient way. I have no doubt that getting someone with fresh eyes to take a look will streamline the organization. I wish him luck. Does this mean that the two of you are thinking of settling down on Alondra? I mean, you already have offices there, and Andy is mired in house business. I will admit that I had concerns that something like this might happen. The lights and the city and all that shiny new glamour of a fancy new world. The offer is still open, you know, if you and Andy want to come to Vela and start up House Lord Perfect. I had to laugh at the description of the people from Jasna. They are not the only ones that suffer from an alternative diet style. There are plenty of Velans that refuse to eat meat of any kind because it would be a dishonor to our ancestors. The rest of us like to point out that our own genetic links show that we come from a long line of sea-dwelling omnivores that ate both water-based plant and animal types. The Saki is a great example of that. While we're not sure if we're directly linked to them genetically, the Saki will often eat other fish as well as kelp and seaweed. We don't see it as eating our own kind so much as nourishing ourselves off of what nature provides us with. Stick any of those Jasnahians on an island for an anul with a box of veggies and a box of meat, and when you come back, I'm pretty sure both boxes will be empty. If Bjorn really likes his kraba so much, he should try some kepting cakes. With the right sauce, they taste amazing. Bjorn's friend Ole sounds like he would be a blast to hang out with. The two of them remind me of a few of my old instructors at the academy. They were extremely hard when we were in classes, but as soon as they got out of the classroom together, they reverted to children again and started playing pranks and telling stories about each other. I like to think that it reminds us all of some of the early lessons that mom always talked about. You never know what's behind a person. The experience you have with someone on a regular basis is only a small part of who that person is. There's always a personality inside that they let out with others of like mind or comfort. It's great that you were able to see multiple sides to both Bjorn and Ole, and that it gave you such a good opportunity to get in his good graces. Friends like that are few and far between, and can help when you least expect it. Please tell Erko that I would be happy to test out his Stiletto 7. Should I expect delivery in the next Rotat or two? Maybe they could put it in a box labeled Imported Krabba and get it aboard some sort of upcoming trade deal that would be coming over from Haimovina. The craft they are building in anticipation of a deal are pretty big. I'm sure it would fit in there somewhere. Has Juniper flown one of these stilettos? What are her thoughts on it? Well, if you do manage to get one shipped, do me a favor and put Javi's name on the label. I don't know if they would let me keep anything addressed directly to me. Let me get this straight. You have protesters there that think that us here on Vela are subjugated by the Haimavinians. Are we supposed to be some sort of subservient species to them? Do these people even realize that we have never even met before? Where are they getting this sort of information from? Even the stuff that's on the network, which is all public knowledge, talks about peaceful communication. Granted, there are the factions here that are anti-Hamavina, which I have talked about previously, but even they don't believe that we are beholden to anyone else. I think they are kind of crazy as well. So I guess different crazy breeds in different environments? Should I take some photos of Velens standing on a mountaintop waving a flag so you can show them that we have won our freedom? Per your request, 
I am sending along a lot of newer photos of little baby Pei. She was old enough to start crawling and getting into trouble. Joru brought her over to my flat, and after realizing that I had way too much equipment and, in Pei's mind, toys laying around, I had to do a lot of cleanup before she was allowed back. When they did come over for another visit, we had a great time. This was about six annuals ago, and even since then she has grown dramatically. The moms are doing great, and it even looks like Pei has a real aptitude for engineering. I base this assessment on how she has managed to take apart every toy we have given her. Someday, I hope that she can figure out how to put them back together. Shortly after my last transmission, I spent a number of cycles going over the big decision I needed to make. As expected, my mind went through so many of the same options that you had presented. At first, I was also thinking of just ignoring the request. I have an incredible life now, and so many great people in it. It was Nosu's loss that she chose not to be a part of that. She could have stayed and seen the person I have become and been there for me through all the ups and downs that I experienced. On the other web, I wonder how my life would have turned out if she had. Would I have still been a pilot? Would I have ventured out into space at all? Moreover, would I even have been in contact with Haimavina and with you? It's so strange to think that one small decision can steer a person's life in a completely different direction. In the end, I feel like there were still too many questions that I needed to get answers for. So I went. Mom went with me, because I don't believe anything short of an interplanetary incident would have kept her from being there. And even then, I think she would have put the planet on hold just to support me. That's just who she is. We flew to Chonar on one of the public shuttles. Mom had a small security detail that helped keep the entire trip confidential. I was surprised that they managed to avoid any sort of press or other leaks from finding out. Her goal was to keep the whole thing private for both of us. Visiting a disgraced citizen is not something a council member usually does, and since most of my early life and the circumstances leading up to it were downplayed by the council, she wanted to keep it that way. When we arrived at the facility, it was really in bad shape. Chonar doesn't really care about some of the basic levels of care, so they tend to send money to other places. The whole building was in disrepair. It was kind of sad, really, to see how their citizens that have to live at that level are treated. As much as she was trying to keep a low profile, Mom thought that exercising a little council power might help, so she practically scared the scales off the staff just by telling them who she was. Afterwards, she told me that she wasn't worried about them telling anyone because it would only showcase their facility and how badly it was being run. They took us to Nosu's room, and Mom let me have some time alone. CJ, there was a point where I just wanted to turn and leave. I wasn't scared or confused. I think I was angry. I wouldn't let it show to Mom, but inside, I was just mad at everything. At Nosu and Kezi, at the choices they made, just the world in general. I made up my mind to go in and saw Nosu laying in that bed, frail and sickly, and I think I wasn't mad anymore. She made a joke about taking my time, and then suddenly she was just a person that made decisions in her life that led her to where she was. They weren't good or bad, just choices that she made along the way. 
We talked for a while. She explained to me that she was sick from the exposure to the flare and that she wanted to tell me her story and why she did what she did before she left this world. It wasn't out of any sort of malice or regret. She saw it as the final way to set right some of the things that she had done. You were right. She and Kezi were in love and wanted to start a school of their own. They had tried to go about the meeting in an official way, but the scheduling didn't work. When they found somewhere that would accommodate them, it turned out that it was an illegal facility. Nosu wasn't sure if Kezi knew or not, but that didn't matter. The only one who could answer that would be him, and he's gone. When she left me with my mom all those rotats ago, she felt like, because of the investigation and the accusations, it would be best if she distanced herself from me to give me a better life. She knew that being subject to the basic system would be a horrible life for a child and that Ori would step in and take care of me. Even talking to Ori first would generate ties and communication that could lead to a backlash on everyone. So she left. But she did it because she wanted the best from me. She left because she loved me. They both did. She told me of the video calls with my father and how he would look at me with hope and promise in his eyes of everything we could be once he returned. Sadly, he never got that chance. If his mission had gone smoothly and he returned on time, maybe none of this would have happened. For a time, though, they were my school, and I was loved beyond life. This whole time, I felt like I was given up because they didn't want me, or they didn't want to deal with the consequences of their actions that led up to me. It turned out that it was because of those consequences that Nosu let me go. It was a last subtide moment of love and protection that she left. Listening to her tell the story of the beginning of my life was heartbreaking, but it made me realize that I was looking at all of it with the wrong perspective. I wasn't abandoned. I was loved. My mother, Ori, took me in as her own because she also loved me. This whole time, I thought that I wasn't aware of how to love or be loved, and it was around me all along. Nosu, Ori, and you. I was afraid to love back because I wasn't sure if I could. But I know now that I always have. Aaron almost insisted that she go with me, but I felt like this would have been too awkward for both of us. I didn't want to have her perspective of me ruined by whatever decision I made while I was there. Plus, I didn't know what Nosu would have ended up saying. Now that it's done, and based on what I've learned, I actually regret that decision a little. Aaron was looking out for me, and would be there to support me regardless of what happened. I can feel how much she cares for me in everything that we do together. Which is why I've asked her to go through the pairing tradition with me. It's not as elaborate as a Haimavina wedding, but it was special for us. This was about three annuals ago. Since then, she has decided to move into my flat. We talked about using her place, but she said it was far too small for two people. 
Apparently, she never bothered finding any place bigger since she spends most of her time at the SI labs. Plus, she can take care of my plants while I'm away on missions. Personally, I think she really wanted to move in because I live much closer to her work. Speaking of my missions, we have a very exciting one coming up that I'm looking forward to. You should be excited as well, as this is the upcoming flight of the CS-3. They believe they have worked out all of the issues from the CS-2 and are prepping the craft now. It will have a full crew complement, and they are in the selection process for the commander of the mission. The vessel itself has been remodeled from the CS-2 with an improved operating system and shielded computer core. Actually, the entire design has been reworked. The whole thing is stunning to look at. Oddly enough, Javi and I are both in the running for commander selection. I didn't think Javi was interested in a command role, but he said he wanted to give it a try. I think maybe being a part of Pei's life has brought out a nurturing side to him that none of us knew was there. Either way, they'll be making the decision in the next few annuals, and I should know by my next transmission. It's scheduled to launch soon after that. Hold your feel stone and cross your thumbs for me. Oh, that reminds me. I've been thinking a lot about our feel stones and how you mentioned that they were very rare on Haimavina. But you said that your dad had one as well, but it had no pair. I thought all of them were paired up and that's how they worked. You said it had been passed down from generation to generation, but with how long all of you live, that would have been thousands of rotats. Do you know any more about it? Where did it come from? Most importantly, where is its paired mate? May the waves guide us. Jason, 43. Log entry, Haimavina 74, 2378, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason. I'm really proud of you for going to see Nosu. I know that was a tough decision, but I think you made the right choice for both you and her. It sounds like she found the closure she needed and took comfort in knowing that you turned out to be the incredible person she wanted you to become. I'm also glad it gave you the ability to see what's always been around you. I still wish I could have been there with you, but knowing that Erin was there when you got home and surrounded you with love is all I need to know about her. She's perfect for you. I know Nozu made the right choice, but I can't fathom how hard it was for her. My heart breaks for her to have to make that choice. After losing Kezi and watching her dreams of a happy school disappear after she left you with Aunt Ori, you're right. How different would have your life been? The mating laws on Vela still shatter me, and I still don't understand why the government punishes children for being the creation of love. It's a stark reminder of how alien our cultures really are, even if we feel the same. Which leads me to... Congratulations! I'm so happy for you! I'm sending you guys lots of love and happiness through our stone. I can only imagine how happy you guys are, and trust me, it only gets better from here. My advice, and I feel like I have some authority here, as Andy and I have been together for, ooh, almost 17 years, is to always communicate, celebrate each other, and never stop falling in love with her. I told everyone in my family, so expect a flood of happy wishes. My mom, of course, cried when she heard. She told everyone at her last Hopnina show that her nephew got married and sang an ancient love song for you and Aaron as her encore. 
It was amazing. The crowd went wild. As if you had any doubt, your Mana family loves you. Rune, Andy, and Max are out sailing on my mom's new segment as I record this. They got this crazy idea from some Velen, and now they want to see how fast it can go. Rune said he's going to make some vids for you, and I'll attach them before I send this message. My mom said that if you break her new segbit, you will have to get her a new one. Also, the guys would like to know when to expect you. I told them that you were in the running to command the CS3, and Andy said, Well, tell him to lock Javi in a closet and get his rass here. We need another grinder on the spinnaker. I think that's my husband's way of saying he's rooting for you to get the commander seat. Have they made the selection yet? Was Javi disappointed? <laughs> well, Andy and I have settled everywhere. <laughs> I'm kidding. We split our time between Alondra and Haimavina. The joy of having two homes is having two closets, so I don't have to live out of a suitcase too much. Besides, you know me. I never need an excuse to shop. It's easy to maintain this fast-paced, always-moving, workaholic lifestyle, because we don't have any children to worry about. It makes it easy when we have guests, too. Hint, hint. As I mentioned, Rune and Janine are back here on Haimavina, and we've been having a lot of fun showing them around all the places they missed on their last trip. We took them to their first old family gala a few weekends ago, and this weekend we're taking them up to the Fjallstad estate. Janine loves Haimavina, because it's so much like Viron, and it really is in a lot of ways. The history of both planets have been defined by struggle. Andy and I joined the Laurelins for Sunadog brunch, if we're on Viron. And I guess it was last summer when Sonnet and Erico hosted because their house renovation was completed, and Erico was itching to show it off. Anyway, Bjorn's dad, Nikolai, who is an anthropology professor, told me that ancient Yodith was incredibly destitute, and the majority of the population couldn't afford to move to the colonies. Many were forced to sign indentured servitude contracts to pay for their ticket. After their contracts were completed, many ended up on Viron because it was cheap and they were familiar with the cold climate. Nikolai relished in the irony that the Haimavina capital, dominant language, and three of the five Haimavina houses are Yothian, and said, It proves again, Yothian guile and will. I watched Janine roll her eyes and apologize to both Andy and Rune for her grandfather. And in a voice only a professor can match, Nikolai said, I wasn't being prejudiced. I'm simply stating a fact. The central planets can get by on their glamour, but Haimavina and Viron, we have to work for a living. Bjorn put his hand over his face and shook his head at his dad. <laughs> but Nikolai's right. Haimavina does have to work for a living, and our struggle to stay relevant in the Empire is far from over. The Haimavina houses do not have the wealth and political clout of the Alithian houses, so we have to be more innovative and competitive to protect ourselves and our employees. If we don't, we will be bought out by the more powerful houses and really will be the backwater planet from the past many of the central planets already think we are. Politically speaking, Vera has been advocating and making the circuits. She thinks that the Haimavina and Velen trade talks will help, but said that they are on hold because the Samcoma is about to start its election cycle. Elithian planetary administrations are vying for Haimavina houses to set up satellite offices on their planets to benefit the steadily increasing trade and employment. 
House News Park and House Jorgensen chose Viron for their satellite offices because of its innovative technology hub. Plus, my whole family loves Viron. Both houses' staff moved to Viron, which has a cheaper real estate, tax incentives, and a relaxed culture. Oli Hoffman's administration has been praised for orchestrating the move. <laughs> and we've all enjoyed the tax break he gave us. Thanks to a pushy petite scion. <laughs> like I mentioned, I still mostly work out of our legislative office on the Londra, because I'd like to be close to my husband. Helgi and Juniper still live on Alondra, but have recently spent a lot of time on Hymavina because Juniper has been stationed back in the Eluda system. As far as the Elithian houses, only House Vinstrasse has a satellite office on Hymavina, and that's because Andy wants to be closer to me. Janine has argued for a House Laurelin office on Hymavina, but her head of house thinks an office is too expensive and says that she can work on her pro bono network project from a flat in Hopnina. My flat. <laughs> we Hymavinans still struggle to access the inner circles of the established empire. But I'm getting there. That brings me to really the only huge thing that happened this year. A few months ago, Andy and I were invited to a legislative working group meeting at the Sam Coma House Library in the late evening. We laughed at the thought of the demented soul who scheduled a late meeting at the end of the week but we went anyway. I complained to both Vera and Oli that there should be a planetary law against such behavior, such as leggings being considered as pants and siren sounds and music. Their laughter suggests that they will not be taking my request seriously, and now I'm concerned about my request to standardize electric plugs. I feel like these are good suggestions. Anyway, the house library is really just an exclusive lounge in the Samcoma house chambers, and it has a stock bar. It's meant for use by titled house members who want to impress or intimidate representatives. It's actually really nice, and it's a great place for private meetings, and there's a lot of cool history there, too. It's where the Samcoma stores its old manuscript, photos, and the ancient house summit ledger. When Andy and I arrived at the house library, there were two fleet officers at the door, which was unusual, because house members usually just palm in. When I approached them and said that I was here for the legislative working group, they silently opened the door for us. Once inside, we saw two fleet admirals and a few head of houses I haven't officially met, chatting and having drinks. Andy spotted Bjorn at the bar, waving us over to where he was with Octavia Hughesby, and Oli Hoffman. When we approached them, Octavia beamed and said, Well, it's about time you both joined us. Welcome to the Vondlichbug. The Vondlichbug is at the center of some truly crazy conspiracy stories, like Elgar sacrifices to Linnea, some weird erotic stuff, and the new one about using Vlet to stay young. When I joked about scheduling my Vlet shot, Octavia laughed and said that she wished that rumor was true. She explained that her younger-looking skin comes from some fancy spa treatments and a great doctor. <laughs> the origin of the Von Lichbug is much less ominous than the rumors suggest. Octavia explained that several hundred years ago, she, Laura Vinstrasse, and their good friend Helena Uglin, who at the time was a newly elected representative from Ghanima, were playing cards on the Samcoma balcony one evening. 
They were spotted and a rumor started that a high-ranking officials were having secret meetings over cards. The three of them decided to lean into it and only invited the people they liked to their exclusive card game. And to sound ominous, they called it the Von Lichtbuch. And I was thinking that I will never be as legendary as Alora, Octavia, or Helena when the doors opened and Helena walked in and she announced, I'm sorry I'm late, everyone. Bjorn, darling, can you make me that Penelope cocktail? Thanks, kiddo. I should mention here that Helena is now the speaker of the Samcoma. Huh? Yep, the true head of the Mana Empire. <laughs> Helena is not much taller than me, with her stylish shoulder-length hair and a dyed black streak in front. I've only seen her on the floor of the Samcoma, or blazing through the corridors in her high heels like she owns the place, which she kind of does. She came over to the bar and expressed her condolences to Oli on his recent divorce. And then she joked about maybe dating for a while before marriage. She turned to Andy and told him how much she adored Alora, and she couldn't wait to tell him stories about her. And then she turned to me and said, Cicela, Bjorn talks about you so much. I feel like I know you. I told Octavia that she should have asked you sooner to be her protege. And I momentarily entertained the thought of being Octavia Hughesby's protege. Jason, she basically runs the entire media industry for the Mana Empire. Bjorn read my face and said to me, No, beautiful. You cannot trade up. You are stuck with me. And I looked at Helena and Octavia and said, Are we sure we can't make an exception? (laughs) Both women laughed out loud. And I put my hand on Bjorn's hand to let him know I was kidding. Kind of. (laughs) I looked around and everyone was just chatting like old friends. Glasses were being filled and people either found their place at the game table or a good spot to watch. Octavia came over to Andy and said, My dear, you have a seat at the table. And when Andy sat down, everyone knocked on the table with their knuckles in unison. Alora's seat was occupied again, and you should have seen Andy's smile. <laughs> the game was jovial, and there was some political talk, but it was mostly jokes about bills that didn't pass, funding someone wanted, or contracts they secured. At the table, no one called anyone by their titles. It was really a place for these powerful people to feel comfortable and wind down. Later on, I was in the middle of showing Oli pictures of pay when Bjorn won a huge pot of chips, and everyone asked if he had his lucky charm. And Bjorn laughed and pulled out a feelstone. Everyone started laughing and protesting the use of ancient magic. And I approached the table and asked him how he had a feelstone. Bjorn said he found it at the bottom of the ancient ledger box after a house summit some 40 years ago. The others joked about superstitions and made fun of Bjorn for believing in ancient myths. He laughed along and said to me, Are you going to make fun of me too, my sweet? In response, I took my feelstone out of my pocket and laid it on the table, and everyone gasped in disbelief. Bjorn picked up my stone and compared them. Octavia told us 
then an authentic pair is worth more than the annual operating budget of the city of Brengar. Andy immediately started howling with laughter and said, Cecella's fieldstone is part of an authentic pair that she found in Old Town Stromsheim. Love, tell everyone where the other one is. And I glared daggers at my sweet husband and told everyone that I had sent it to my best friend who lives on Bella. As you can imagine, everyone laughed and wished they had a best friend like me. Bjorn, to his credit, did not laugh, but that was because he was holding both stones in disbelief. I smiled and said that I was going to get a drink, and I signed to Andy not to say anything about the other stone. And he nodded, still laughing, and I was feeling a little embarrassed. Bjorn followed me to the bar. He looked around to make sure no one was close and said, You have another fuel stone, don't you? I have to give it to my mentor. He never misses a thing. I nodded, and I explained that my family has another fuel stone that has been passed down throughout the generations and that my dad carries it. And Bjorn's eyes got wide, and he messaged my dad, who was on Viron at the time. Bjorn put his stone in my hand and covered it with his hand and said, Tell your dad what's in your heart. And I closed my eyes, and I told my dad that I loved him with my heart. And I swear to Linnea, we both felt the stone radiate with heat. Bjorn covered his mouth, and then he looked at his hand terminal and said, It's a pair. Later, back on Viron, we all talked about how cool it was that the stones found each other, not through strangers or some archaeologist, but through people who had become friends. I mean, talk about solidifying a friendship. My dad and Bjorn just kept holding their stones and laughing with each other, probably exchanging terrible jokes, the goofballs. And we joked that we could have just handed Bella the set and saved us a ton of money. We all passed the stones around and thought that we felt the warmth radiating through them. But my husband, always a skeptic, said that it didn't matter among us who held the stones because we all know in our hearts that we love and care for each other. So that's what we will feel in the stones. And my mom lovingly shook her head at Andy. And my dad said, I told you I didn't like him, but you married him anyway. <laughs> and then he laughed and he tousled Andy's hair to let him know that he was kidding. Andy told me later that I have to at least see the possibility that it's just wishful thinking. And I told him that, yes, I can see that. But I still love the idea that there's some mystery or cosmic magic out there in the universe. Andy wrapped his arms around me and said that he loved that about me. <laughs> He's a goofball too. But I still believe. Love always. CJ, age 44. Log entry, Vela 74. Vela Rotat 2699, cycle 18 of the 4th Anul. Hey, hey, Siege. Aaron gave me so much opla over my mention of the pairing tradition to you that she was glad that you saw it for what it was. That is, an important event in our lives that binds us together. When I told her about my previous transmission, she said that I spent way too long talking about some wacky protests in Alithia and barely mentioned our pairing. So from both of us, I will say... Thank you for the congratulations you sent. We are both really happy, but personally, I'm with you. Nothing much has changed. We had already been spending so much time around each other 
The only real difference is that I don't have to take a transit stream to see her. I just walk into the living room. I never thought it would be so much fun to live with somebody. Well, at least someone I'm more romantically involved with. The time I spent in the dorm living with other pilots was rough. Some of them don't understand the concept of cleaning the bathroom when they're done. Not that Erin is great at picking up either. I think she gets distracted with some project she's working on and forgets to clean up sometimes. But at least there are other benefits. Another great thing about having someone in the flat, which has nothing to do with Erin, specifically, is that someone is there to take care of things while I'm gone, and there to welcome me when I get back. There is something that is a little depressing when you come home from a long mission, walk into your home, drop your bags on the couch, and there's no one there to greet you. Shortly after my last transmission, I went out for a quick trip to Fenora. I actually volunteered for it. I needed some time and space to clear my head and process everything that happened. I knew that the selection process for the CS3 was going to take a while, so it was perfect. Plus, I think it made a good showing for the higher-ups that I was still putting myself in for routine missions. It was a standard mission that was just a part of the usual rotation to bring supplies and equipment to the planet. There's a new base camp being built out on the opposite side from where the Crimson Sun landed. As you know, they built out a rather large base there for recovery and research. That place has become quite its own city now. They wanted to expand, but needed more information and resources, so they opted to go as far out as possible. This new facility will be more focused on the natural resources of Fenora and research of our system in general, since the main base was more focused on the Crimson Sun. They have been drilling out tunnels in all directions to link up to other remote stations via railskiff. So there is a new line that will link up the new base to the old one. It's extremely high speed, and it still blows my mind that you can get from one side of the planet to the other in less than a cycle. I mean, we can do that on Vela, but it involves shuttles going into high orbit. Drilling tunnels on Vela for this sort of transport is problematic due to the water. I didn't spend a lot of time on Fenora since I needed to get back, so I didn't even go down to the planet this time. What I was able to do was to process all of the events over the last few rotats and do some inner reflection on what I thought was true in my life and what wasn't. I was able to come to terms with the revelations that I learned, and I have come to a few conclusions. I think I was never able to express some of my feelings before, but now I have a new outlook and I really need to say something. CJ, I'm sorry I never told you before. You were my first real love. I know it's far too late for you to hear that from me, but it doesn't change how I felt. I loved you from some of the earliest transmissions. Back then, I had always dreamed of us growing up together and bridging the gap between our worlds. The biggest thing that I have learned from Nosu is that love never goes away. I hope you can forgive me for not saying it sooner. I know that we will not be running off together. Because of the love we have, now that we both have someone else in our lives, we can share that love with them. It's taught me to love Aaron. I thought you should know. When I got back, I was greeted by two amazing things. The first was Aaron, who actually came to the spaceport to greet me. She had a little stuffed farhund in a space costume that she gave me. When I looked at her quizzically about the gift, she said to just wait. 
As we left the terminal, she escorted me back home where she had gathered together a bunch of our friends for a celebratory party because she had gotten some inside information from the VSA that I had officially been selected as the CS3 mission commander. The mission leaves in roughly five annuals, and the projected flight plan is even more exciting than my selection. The Council received authorization from the Heimavenan Planetary Administration for a test jump into the Aluda system. While it won't be all the way to Heimavena, it will be just on the edge of the system, barely past the halfway point. It looks like I will finally be getting closer to seeing you. The primary goal of the trip will be to test out the craft and the new jump engine, which has gone through so many ground tests that it would make your head swim. There is also a secondary mission to bring updated equipment out to the paired particle communications probe that sits between our two planetary systems. You remember, the system that lets us communicate a little faster than we used to? Wow, remember when it would be nearly two rotats between messages? That seems like ages ago now. When we make it to your space, after we drop off a crew at the probe, we plan to engage the magsail drive and coast the rest of the way towards, but not actually visiting, Heimavina. The mission does not yet have permission to land anywhere while in system, but instead, we will be refueling at Radithyost, and then jumping back to Vela. I think there are plans to get a military escort from one of the fleets, but I haven't heard if it would be Junipers. If everything goes as planned, we will be working on a future mission to actually come for a full-fledged meeting. I am sure you can guess that Javi was a little disappointed about not getting the spot. He was happy for me, and he seemed to be in a decent mood considering the news. But I could tell he was a little bummed about it. I guess he was planning on doing something with Mari. I don't know what, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to know. Especially considering that there were no plans for any actual meeting to take place. Sometimes I wonder what those two get up to behind our backs. You will have to check with Mari to see if they were planning to hijack the CS3 and go on a joyride or something. After hearing what you sent, I have a newfound respect for Haimovina and Viron, if they have to work for the respect they have earned so far. Elandra never really struck me as the type of place where they appreciate what they have. With places like Viron, they had to start fresh and build up to what they are and Haimavina had its own struggles. I think Alondra just grew out of the original colony ships and already had everything they needed to start fresh on the planet. Back in the ancient cycles on Vela, when a group wanted to expand outward to a new region, they could only take the bare minimum of equipment and supplies. New villages were created using only what was available to them in the new place. That's how I imagine someplace like Viron was founded. They were people who broke out on their own and made a place for themselves. It's commendable. Haimavina may have had some infrastructure from what was left, but when you suddenly find yourself in a completely different ecosystem and everything that you know about where you live is suddenly changed, you have to adapt quickly. Those on Alandra just found a planet that fit what they wanted and settled. There's no adventure in that. I am kind of not surprised that a group of elite individuals would start up some secret society and start inspiring conspiracies about different things. In some ways, this Vanglet board sounds hilarious. I could see that sort of thing happening here, but mostly in the pilot scene. I would imagine them sitting around and just inventing stuff that they would try and convince people of. 
Now the real question is, are you sure the Vanglet board aren't in themselves a conspiracy and that they don't even really exist? Did you actually meet this Helena person or just someone pretending to be her? Maybe you were just plugged into a sim and thought you were there, but you really weren't. Ooh, what if we're all plugged into a sim right now and none of this is real? I'm kidding, of course. Or am I? So what are the odds that the Fieldstone that your dad has been holding onto for ages, that originated on Haimavina, that passed down from generation to generation, would just so happen to have a pair that ends up in the hands of Bjorn. Seriously? I mentioned this to Erin, and she doesn't even think the SI could calculate that sort of probability. That's insane. I'm not saying that I don't believe that it could happen. I'm just amazed. He says that he found it 40 of your years previously at the bottom of a ledger box? How did it get there? How far back does the one your dad has date? CJ, I have so many questions about this. I'm sure you do as well. It's just one of those weird history things that I guess will baffle us for many rotats to come. Well, I'm sorry to say that I need to wrap things up a little sooner than normal. Since we are about two annuals out from launch, I need to go back to the VSA and start pre-mission preparations. Being the commander is a lot more involved than just stepping in and flying. There are crew positions to consider, mission goals, and objectives to review, and a serious training regimen to commit to. I will try and send you a message when I get closer to Haimavina. There may still be some time lag, but it will be nice to maybe communicate a little closer to real time. Unless you will still be out on Viron. Hoping to see you soon. Jason, 44. You've been listening to an episode of The Binary Saga. Part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. Thank you to our Patreon supporters, Rob and Mary Carnahan. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at The Binary Saga. Want to ask us questions? Join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can read the print version for the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. Print versions will include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga. <laughs>